0: the Galatians as we continue to move through this uh, wonderful letter containing the pure gospel. And uh, this morning we're looking at Galatians chapter 4 verses 21 through 31. Galatians 4 verse 21 through 31. And Paul, as you remember, is uh, he's debating with these false teachers who are teaching uh, a religion of rules and uh, mosaic obedience as the way, as the path to the, the favor of God and uh, this morning we're going to see Paul um, just hammer home uh, the, the fact that there's, uh, there's only one way to find favor with God, that's by faith in Jesus Christ. So Let's give our attention to God's Word. I'm going to pick it up, verse 21 of Galatians chapter 4. Tell me, Paul writes, you who desire to be under the law, do you not listen to the law? For it is written that Abraham had two sons, one by a slave woman and one by a free woman. For it is written, Rejoice, O barren one who does not bear, break forth and cry aloud, you who are not in labor, for the children of the desolate will be one will be more than those of the one who has a husband. Now you brothers like Isaac are children of promise. But just as at that time he who was born according to the flesh persecuted him who was born according to the spirit, so also it is now. For what does the scripture say? Cast out the slave woman and her son, for the son of the slave woman shall not inherit with the son of the free woman. So brothers, we are not children of the slave, but of the free woman. Let's ask the Lord's blessing. Father, we thank you that your spirit inspired these words from the pen of the Apostle Paul and that your same spirit promises to help us interpret and understand them, that we might be encouraged in our faith today. And we pray you do this work for the glory of Jesus Christ, in whose name we ask it. Amen. Uh, Boys and girls, I'd like to start by asking you a a very important question this morning. And um, you need to think carefully about this, all right? Are you ready? All right, here's the question. Uh, Boys and girls, do you know which family you belong to? Now that might seem like a silly question, but boys and girls, if you look around, there's families all over the place, lots of families, and are you absolutely positive that the family you're sitting with is really truly the right one, your, your family? Because it'd be really embarrassing if you uh, got into the car after the service and the man behind the wheel said, uh, who are you and why are you in my car? That'd be embarrassing. So are you sure you're with the right family? I'm not, I'm not asking this to raise doubts in your mind. Uh, your parents might have some, but I... Uh, it's an important question, boys and girls, because this morning in our text, Paul is talking to people who are mistaken about precisely this thing. They they uh, they think they're part of one family, the family of God, but they're mistaken. They're not in the in the family of God. They think they're God's children, but they're not God's children. And it's not an uncommon mistake. People make this mistake all the time. There are many people in the world today, even in the church today, who commit the same error. They assume that they're part of God's family, they assume that God is their father, that they are God's children, and that they are the heirs of all of God's blessings. And the tragic fact is they're wrong. They're wrong. Why would people assume this? Well, people assume this because they think that the external things so uh, are the things that actually define um, your familial status. So if you go to church, if you believe in God, uh, if you believe the Bible is true, Maybe you know some of the stories. Maybe you even have good theology and can quote catechism. Um, and you observe the sort of traditions and rules of your uh, local church community. And there's all sorts of people who think that, that those are the things that, um, that would determine familial status. Well, it's just, it's just a lie. None of those things determine true spiritual familial status. None of those things make you a child of God. None of those things guarantee at all that you're a child of God. None of those things should be your assurance that you're part of the family of God. And on the last day, all those who have have mistakenly assumed their familiar status, Jesus says on the last day, he will say to them, depart from me, I never knew you. They were never part of the family. It's clearly, uh, there's no more tragic mistake that you could make as a person than, than to be mistaken about the true, your true status in the family of God. Well, as we've been going through our uh, letter here, Paul's letter to the Galatians, remember that Paul is speaking to uh, churches that have been influenced by false teaching and have become confused about what does it mean actually to be a child of God and who actually belongs to the family of God. And they've been confused by these false teachers who've come down from Jerusalem. Uh, they profess to be Christians, but they're telling people, in order to really be sure that you're a child of God and, and belong to the family of God, you have to belong to the family of Moses. You've got to become a Jew. you got uh, to get into the stream of the, uh, of the Jewish people because they are God's people. It's an easy mistake. It's easy to see how it could happen, but as Paul explains in the text this morning, that uh, those who rely on the law of Moses to be right with God and to inherit the blessings of God, those who do that are actually not children of God at all. They're not even. They're not in the family. And he presses home that point uh, first historically, just pointing to historical facts, and then allegorically as he as he. Um, As he says those facts represent spiritual truths and then he'll press it home personally uh, to his to his hearers and so those will be our three points the historical facts the allegorical interpretation and then the personal application let's start then verse 21 Uh, Paul starts with a rebuke tell me you who desire to be under the law the Judaizers the false teachers do you not listen to the law You're so excited about the law, maybe you ought to read it. Maybe you should pay attention to what it says. And when Paul talks about law here, he's not just thinking Ten Commandments. He's thinking the first five books of the Bible, the books of Moses. Think about Genesis specifically. And Paul reminds uh, them of this simple historical fact. Abraham did not just have one son. Abraham had two sons. Now, why does that matter? Well, John Stott uh, points out that one of the Jews' loudest and proudest boasts was that they were descended from Abraham, the father and founder of their race, and they were utterly convinced that their ethnic identity as Abraham's descendants guaranteed them the blessing of Abraham's inheritance. I mean, it says so right in the Bible. You can read it in in Genesis 17 where God comes to Abraham and says, I will establish my covenant between me and you and your offspring after you throughout their generations for an everlasting covenant to be a God to you and your offspring after you. And I will give to you and to your offspring after you the land of your sojourning, all the land of Canaan, for an everlasting possession and then here's the real treasure and I will be their God I will be their God and so uh, you talk to any man on the street in Jerusalem of the day and they would say well there it is black and white go look at the scroll read what it says indisputable proof that Jews are God's favored people because the Jews are Abraham's descendants And so their ethnic tie to Abraham was their boast before men and their assurance before the Lord. But it was a false assurance. John the Baptist put his finger on it and when he came preaching in the wilderness and people were coming out to be baptized and we read in Matthew chapter 3 when he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees coming to his baptism, he said to them, You brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Bear fruit in keeping with repentance, and do not presume to say to yourselves, We have Abraham as our father. For I tell you, God is able to raise from these stones to raise up children for Abraham. Why does he say, Don't presume to say to yourselves? Because that's exactly what they presume to say. Well, we're we're, we're Abraham's children. Uh, That's exactly the conversation Jesus had with the Pharisees in John chapter 8. And uh, he talks about how he's come to set people free. And they say, what are you talking about? We've never been in bondage to anyone. We're Abraham's children. And Jesus says, I know you're Abraham's offspring. But if you were his children, you would do what Abraham does. The work of faith. Believing in Christ. And Jesus points out, you see, just because you're an offspring doesn't make you a child. Jesus uses two different words there. Just because you're an offspring doesn't guarantee you God's favor, doesn't guarantee you the blessings of an eternal inheritance. Those things belong only to true children. And that is, this is made patently clear by Paul here in the example of Ishmael and Isaac, (coughs) excuse me. So verse 22, 23, Paul highlights this vast chasm that exists between these two sons. They have the same father. And yet uh, everything else about them is profoundly radically different. So they have different mothers. You can read about it in Genesis chapter 16. Uh, Ishmael's mother is Hagar. She is the servant, the slave of Sarah. And Sarah, having despaired of having children, as the practice of the day was, it was thought that you could sort of have children by having your servant go into your husband with your husband and uh, and have children that way. And so that's what they did. Genesis 16, and Ishmael is born to Hagar. Isaac is born of Sarah, two different mothers. And Paul points out two different mothers with profoundly different status. So one is born. Uh, to a slave woman, Ishmael is born to a slave woman, and thus he himself is a slave. And Isaac is born to a free woman, and thus he himself is free. So you see, one is a slave, one is a son. They do not have equal status in the household of Abraham. One, and, and the difference, you see, is it's not just that one has to work hard and the other doesn't. The difference is one gets inheritance and the other does not that's what it, uh, the difference it makes between whether you're a slave or a son. Do you get the, the inheritance? Well, one did, one didn't. And then Paul presses on, they're born by different power. One was born naturally, according to the flesh. Um, one was born supernaturally, according to the spirit, according to promise. And so Paul sets up this, this, uh, this difference between these two boys uh, and in a sense, is setting up a difference between two religions. Uh, Ishmael stands for what natural man can do. Isaac stands for what only God can do. Because remember, Isaac is born supernaturally. I, both Abraham and Sarah are uh, dead in terms of producing children. And yet God, who raises the dead, brings Isaac supernaturally in a sense, miraculously, by the power of God. And he does so, why? Because he had promised to do so. Abraham is a child of supernatural power and divine promise. And so these two boys stand for two different spiritual families, two different religions. John Stott says this, the religion of Ishmael is a religion of nature, of what men can do by themselves without any intervention from God. There are all sorts of people who carry out religion, even um, Christian religion, you could call it, simply by the power of people. It doesn't take the power of God to come to church. It doesn't take the power of God to to have rules and regulations. You can do all of that without the power of God. You can mumble sort of formulaic prayers. You can have formulaic worship services and, and adhere to certain traditions, and you can do it all by the power of men. And you might, if you, if you can do it in a winsome way, you might maybe even uh, able to attract people to it. That's the religion of what people can do. But Stott goes on, the religion of Isaac is a religion of grace or of what God has done and what God does. A religion of divine initiative and divine intervention and through divine promise. Fundamentally different things. Two different boys two different spiritual families two different religions and you so you see the critical issue is not is Abraham your father the critical question is is Sarah your mother who is your spiritual mother are you a slave or a son or is your religion a religion of nature a religion of laws and doctrines and duties Or is it a religion of grace and the power of God? A a religion of divine intervention and divine promise? Is it a, a religion of what men can do in and of themselves? Or what God alone can do? We need to be asking that question. What is our religion defined by? What is your Christian experience in truth defined by? Simply what you can do? Or is God at work in your life? Is the power of God present in your life, transforming your life? Is the power of God at work in the church of Harvest Church? Are things happening that can only be explained by supernatural divine intervention? That's the religion of Isaac. Who's our spiritual mother? And Paul then presses that point home with an allegorical interpretation, verse 24. Now this may be interpreted allegorically. These two women are two covenants. So Paul takes these two women under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit and he says they stand for spiritual truths. And he'll use Sarah and Hagar to represent um, two different covenants and two different cities. All right, so Hagar stands for... uh, the covenant of uh, the mosaic covenant All right? so these two women are two covenants boys and girls what's a covenant and if you've been memorizing your catechism you know that a covenant is a relationship that god establishes with us and guarantees by his word but what is a covenant um, in general well, a covenant is a, is a contract a covenant is a contract with stipulations things that you need to do and then promised consequences if you buy a house, you sign a contract and the contract lays out the stipulations. You have to put this much money down, you got to make uh, these these are the monthly payments, that's the contract. Those are the stipulations. If you do that, the promised consequence is you get a house. That's how it works. Well, God deals with mankind in through covenants where there are stipulations and there are promised consequences. And Paul highlights the two primary covenants you find in the Bible, the the Mosaic Covenant and the Covenant of Grace, or the Abrahamic, the the covenant God made with Abraham. And Hagar stands for the Mosaic Covenant. And he he skillfully points this out. She's from from Mount Sinai in in Arabia. That's where she was from. And uh, she bears children for slavery. So the covenant that Hagar represents, the Mosaic Covenant, it's a covenant based on law. Thou shalt, thou shalt not, those are the stipulations. And it promises blessings then to those who obey, who keep the law, and who do so perfectly. However, as Paul has pointed out, since the law, uh, since people are not able to keep the law perfectly, since we cannot make the monthly payments, we cannot attain the promised blessings. The Mosaic covenant cannot give you the inheritance. Can't give you the, uh, the things that it, it promises because you're not able to keep it. The law is fine. You're, we're fundamentally a mess. We can't do it. And so the Mosaic covenant is a covenant of bondage. It says do this, do this, do this, do this, and you never get the return. But the covenant of, uh, that represented by Sarah is the Abrahamic covenant. It's not based on demands, but on promise. So the languages of, of the new covenant, uh, the, covenant the, uh, of the covenant of grace, the, the language is not thou shalt and thou shalt not. The language is I will, I promise. I will forgive your sins. I will heal your iniquities. Pardon, pardon your iniquities. Uh, I, will, uh, I, will, uh, I will give you a new name, God promises. I will give you a crown of righteousness, he promises. I will give you the kingdom, he promises that's the language of the new covenant and all of the 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 consequences of of the new covenant having been purchased by the atoning death of christ are now freely given to those who come to christ in faith they're all free you don't pay you don't pay a dime for any of them you don't merit any of them by your behavior God freely forgives you. He freely pours out his daily blessings and grace upon you. He freely loves you with all the love of his infinite heart. He freely um, promises to give you a new heaven and a new earth where you will have a glorified, perfected body and mind and soul Well, you will be a, a version of yourself so glorious and good you can't even imagine it. And you will dwell in eternity with people just like that in the presence of Jesus Christ, all freely given. It's astonishing what God promises in the new covenant. And it's all gift, all by promise, all by grace. Not given to those who work, not given to those who merit, but given to those who believe that's why the apostles, when they were sent out, their message was always the same believe, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and you will be saved. All the treasures of God freely given to those who have faith. That's the gospel. So there's two covenants, and there's two cities. She, that is Hagar, corresponds to the present Jerusalem, for she is in slavery with her children. So the present Jerusalem, of course, is the Jerusalem that the Judaizers had just come from. It's the city right there in the Middle East. And uh, the capital city, of course, of Judaism. She represents that. And and, and that stands then as the native city of all those who trust in human merit. And it's a city defined by spiritual bondage. She is in slavery with her children. Now, I want you to to listen to this with the ears of a first century Jew, particularly the Judaizers. What Paul is saying, you see, the the, the shocking force of what he's saying is that if you are a Jew trusting in the law, uh, you're a descendant of Hagar. Now, who are the descendants of Hagar? Well, they're the Arabs who do jewish people hate more than anybody else in the whole world arabs back then still today and yet paul is saying spiritually speaking you're all arabs you're all in bondage to pagan religion in a sense right because you're trusting in law to do what the law cannot do you are in bondage with hagar you are descendants of Hagar from the line of Ishmael. There's no difference. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. It's, it, this is a blow at, the, at the, the, root, the, the root of the tree. I mean, you want to you destroy Jewish pride, this is how to do it. But if you want to destroy religious pride at all, this is how you do it. You're trusting in what you can do? You're just an Ishmaelite. You're son, you're a, you're a son or daughter of, of Hagar, and you're just as you're in as fully as much bondage as any pagan trying to, to make his way to God through whatever uh, through whatever obligations he think might do the trick. But the Jerusalem that is above is free, and she is our mother. Represented. By Sarah, And the Jerusalem above, of course, is the heavenly city, the eternal city, whose builder and maker is God, the new heaven and the new earth, the home of righteousness, the future eternal home of everyone who calls on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. That is the city that Abraham and his descendants longed to see. We read of that in the book of Hebrews. Hebrews chapter 11, where the writer says that the the, the patriarchs, Abraham and his descendants, they were... They desired a better country, a heavenly one. They weren't just looking for a, a city in this world. They wanted a heavenly country. And therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. 13 verse 14, here we have no lasting city, but we seek the city that is to come. That really just came home to me. I, a year ago now, uh, my dad passed away. And the morning that he died, uh, I, um, I got there uh, early and... Uh, I was just mom and dad and the hospice nurse. And dad was clearly, um, clearly dying. And I, I, I went to his bed and I just started quoting scripture. And these are the verses that came to mind as, as I thought about my dad now. Um, the next step, the very next step is heaven. Here we have no lasting city, dad. We seek the city that is to come. And God is not ashamed to be called our God because he has prepared a city for us. You see, it that's either the most glorious truth imaginable on your deathbed or the most horrific lie you've ever been told. And it was, it was such a joy to be able to, to stand in the conviction that this is true, this is what it's about. We're not living for things. If you're living for the things in this earth, what do you have when you're on your deathbed? It's all gone. But if, you, if you're living for the city that, that has a, whose builder and maker is God, the city that cannot be shaken, that, that better country, if that's, where if that's where your heart is set, if that's you knew all, right, you, you've realized that's where your life actually is, that's the country that you're longing for, well, then God is not ashamed to be called your God, friend. He has prepared a city for you. And Paul then presses this now with a, with a personal application. He first, <clears throat> there's an affirmation here and a reminder of opposition. Verse 28, now you brothers, like Isaac, are children of promise. But just as at that time he who was born according to the flesh persecuted him who was born according to the spirit, so it is now. The the Judaizers uh, were in effect mocking the faith of these galatian believers they were mocking the idea that you could be you could be forgiven all your sin and you could be an heir uh of all the blessings of uh, that god promised to abraham you could be the heir of a new heaven and a new earth the kingdom of god though, by doing nothing but believing in jesus and casting all your hope on him the judaizers mocked that faith well the the ishmaelites have always mocked isaac remember and Paul's just referenced right back to when ishmael was mocking isaac And um, it's always been this way. John Stott says, The persecution of the true church of Christian believers who trace their spiritual descent from Abraham, it's not always by the world, who are strangers, but by religious people. The nominal church, it it has always been so. Jesus was not um, um, persecuted by the Romans. He was persecuted most by the Jewish people. Same for the apostle Paul. Same for the church today. Uh, you'll realize um, if, if, if you um, have been part of a sort of a, a more of a legalistic tradition, formal tradition where external things are the things that mattered a great deal, when you wake up to the power of the Holy Spirit and the reality and the freedom and the joy of the gospel, uh, people will accuse you of maybe getting charismatic or um, going, becoming a fanatic. I remember um, Brett Wilson, just a wonderful young man who was converted. Um, and and uh, the, the, by far, the most flack and the most uh, bitter opposition he, he, he received were from his grandparents who attended a church downtown. It always, right, it, it's just, it just happens that way. People, people who, who trust in legal things get threatened by people who walk into the freedom and the joy of the gospel. And so... you gotta accept that, right? Do you want you want to be you want to be loved and 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 applauded by sort of legalistic religion? Well, join Ishmael's gang. He he's got that he's got that down pat. If you want to take a if you want if you want something more than that than the applause of men, if if you want glory, if you want honor, if you want to know the freedom that is yours in Jesus Christ, you want to know the joy of the Holy Spirit, you want to know the power of God at work in your life, you want to be filled with these things. If you want that and receive the glory that comes from God, well then come and stand. with with Isaac the son of promise and embrace whatever mocking might come because you brothers like Isaac Paul says are children of promise it's a wonderful thing to say to someone to be a child of promise means that all this is true for you all your sins forgiven and all the blessings that belong to Abraham then given freely to you all the love and grace and favor of God the glory and the honor of God is yours and God has prepared a city for you you see, Galatians is not written primarily just to refute false teachers. It's written primarily to, to, uh, to encourage true believers. It's written to help them understand and us to understand that the gospel, you see, is, is, is fully sufficient for full and eternal salvation. That all of God is given to us in the gospel. All of God. That nothing is lacking. When you come to Jesus Christ in faith, confessing your sins and, and calling on his name, there, there, there's not uh, portions just given to certain different groups of people. No matter Jew, Gentile, slave, free, man, woman, does not matter. When you come on your knees and you come in faith and, and call on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, trusting in him alone, then all the promises belong to you and fully to you. And we need to remember that. We need to lay hold of that, that that all of my sin is forgiven and all of the chains are, 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 are gone. And that all of heaven and all of its glory is fully and freely mine. Alistair Begg in his sermon on this, he says, I want to speak to those of you who are rummaging around in the garbage cans of forgiven sin, who are chained to past events, who think that somehow the purposes of God are vetoed For you don't believe it it's a lie of the devil and your acceptance before God today is on account of one thing and one thing alone because the sinless Savior died my sinful soul is counted free for God the just is satisfied to look on him and pardon me do you believe that this morning are you convinced it's true And walk in the freedom, Paul will say, for freedom Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore. For freedom Christ has set us free. Friends, that's the gospel. And all those who believe this this gospel and love this Jesus will inherit the celestial city. Paul says in Ephesians 1.11, in him, Jesus Christ, we have obtained an inheritance. Having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things, according to the counsel of his will. Let me wrap up with just two very quick applications. One, if you are not a son this morning, if you're just wrong about your spiritual family, um, this, my plea to you is, is to wake up and, and, and to recognize that if you're not a son, you're not an heir. The only inheritance that you will receive, no matter how religious you might seem to be, the only inheritance that is for you is, is the inheritance of Ishmael, to be cast out. That's that's it. That's all you get. Eternally cast out of the presence of God. And that will be your experience, friend. Unless you are actually and truly a child of God. And nothing external or formal can make that happen to you. You must be born the way all of God's children are born. Not by the will of man. Not by uh, uh, by the power of the flesh. But born of the Spirit of God. It's the only way you can become, and I can become, a child of God. And if that has not happened to you, then pray that it would. Don't hope your externalism, your formalism, your religion will suffice. It cannot and it will not. And one day you will be on your deathbed. Much sooner than you imagine. What will be your inheritance? And to those of of you who have, by the power of God, come to Jesus Christ... And cast yourselves on him. Friend, you are blessed above the angels. The living God has made you an heir of everlasting glory. Let that truth penetrate your life. Take that truth into the circumstances that you deal with every day. Take it into your weakness. Take it into your sin. Take it into the truth of your pain. Realize that no matter what Sorrow or loss or difficulty we face today, they are all fleeting things. And one day, very soon, very soon, you in your own self will be robed with glory and honor that would tempt the angels to worship. Because the glory of Christ and the honor of Christ is yours. It's your inheritance. Let that truth penetrate your mind. Engage your heart. Change the way you think. Affect how you feel. Change the way you speak. How you respond to circumstances. I'm a child. I'm an heir. By the grace of God. Amen. Oh Father in heaven, I thank you for the gospel. Lord, I thank you that we have the opportunity to hear it. And by your spirit, Lord, to believe it. I pray, Lord, for those who have not professed faith in Christ. I pray for young people who maybe are just assuming that because they're, they're born in the church and they go to church with their parents, that all is well and yet have no, maybe, desire for Christ or for the things of God. Oh, God, I pray that you would help them to, to see their need for Jesus and that they would respond then in faith so that all the glories of Christ could be theirs. I pray for, Lord, maybe for some who have professed their faith and yet it was external and formal. It never never was from a heart that was convicted by the truth of their sin or or enthralled with the beauty of Jesus and the wonder of the gospel. Lord, I pray for for those of us who've allowed the the difficulties of our life to obscure the great blessings and privileges that are ours in Jesus. And we've been living downcast with the heavy burdens um, because, Lord, we, we've, we've lost sight of who we are and what is ours. And we confess that, Lord, is unbelief, and we ask that you would, you would forgive us and let the light of the gospel shine through the darkness and the, the wonderful, beautiful weight of our inheritance, the glory of our inheritance in Jesus Christ. Lord, that would just change how we think and feel. And Lord, that we would live then as, as, as heirs, sons and daughters of the Most High God, heirs of the kingdom. And Lord, may that day come soon when all weakness and sin and sorrow and pain is put away and we are robed with the glory of Jesus. We pray it in his name. Amen. Let's respond singing number 546, The Sands of Time Are Sinking.